Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Sheldon Primus. He's a safety consultant and also the host of a podcast called The Safety Consultant with Sheldon Primus. Sheldon, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. So so tell me a little bit about uh, your your journey into the safety space. Uh, I, I, I know when we first connected, uh, you did some work as a plant manager. Um, and I'd love to hear a little bit about your story as you got into a plant manager and what really made safety interesting to you in that new role. Yeah, actually, um, when I got started in safety, I got started as a young man, early 20s, working for the city of Orlando in Florida. And uh, they actually just needed a safety officer because they were doing uh, every two years, they would switch the role. And they asked, hey, you want to do safety? And I was like, sure. <laughs> and I knew <laughs> nothing about safety at all. All I knew is that I was going to get time each week. Actually, I believe it was like a, up to an hour a day. And I was able to have my own office and a procurement card so I could purchase things for safety. And that's all I knew. <laughs> So I was ready and that's that actually got me into safety and I was young in the field for wastewater treatment which is anything you pour down a, a drain or you uh, flush in the toilet goes to a facility to get treated. So my facility was treating uh, 11 million gallons of wastewater at the time and mm -hmm. I was the operator trying to figure that out but when I joined safety I quickly learned that I needed to know underground construction, I needed to know piping, I needed to know fluid dynamics, I needed to know personnel, maintenance, electrical, and permit required confined space, and it kind of took me by a, a storm, if you would, and <laughs> then I said, I better learn some, some safety, <laughs> and eventually I got into uh, learning some safety enough, and uh, for your, your audience that may not be in the U.S. market, uh, federal OSHA does not have jurisdiction over any state or, or city or county employees if they don't have a state plan. So I was working in a state where it had no state plan and therefore the city that I worked for had no regulation that was, or I should say no regulatory agency over it, except for oh, the city itself. Yeah. Interesting. So. I didn't have all those tools that people will say, you know, OSHA will get you or the regulators will get you. I didn't have that tool. <laughs> Interesting. So so from that role, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you eventually moved into becoming the plant manager. Correct. And uh, at not that facility, I was a lead operator at that facility. And later on, I decided I'll take a chance. And, and my wife and I moved a little to the uh, east coast of Florida at that time. And I got hired in a position for the special, a special district of the state of Florida. And at that point, I started progressing into management of the facility. And I was the middle manager. So I had some people under me. And then I had uh, my executive director and then also a board of directors above me. And my board was either elected 
or whenever we had a in-between election, a board member leave, then the governor of Florida would place that board member. And those are the people I had to answer to. Mm. And in that role, um, you did a lot to, to connect with workers. Uh, how did you do that? How did you really connect with your teammates, with the workers at the site to, to draw on the importance of safety, which I think is really key? Yeah, actually, with my role, it was it was really unique. Uh, the reason why is they hired me to come in first as a, a low-level uh, frontline uh, foreman, if you would, and then from there, I was already promised that I was within a year I'd be the plant manager uh, over my uh, the facility. So what I had coming in right away was an outsider trying to join an organizational culture that they just did not understand uh, where I was coming from. They knew I knew the job, but they just didn't know how I would be as a manager. So one of the first things I had to overcome was really, really poor lackadaisical procedures and, and policies and sometimes non-existent. So I had to start from basics with the rapport. And I first and foremost told the guys, said, I am going to do everything above board. If I don't know, I'll find out. I'm going to protect you from upper management. Just come to me and uh, keep that chain of command and I'll do my best to protect you. And then also I'm going to do things out in the open. And I promised them that from the very first day I got the position, I got people on. Uh, I even went to the midnight shift. I went to the evening shift because it was a 24 hour mm -hmm. facility. And I had the same conversation that let's be above board. Every meeting I have, I'm going to put minutes and I'm going to follow up. And I did. And usually when you do that, people respect it enough that they started to to feel like, oh, yeah, we're not back in the woods doing some job we're actually here doing a professional task and we have mm. at this point they were uh the facility was over a large portion of palm beach northern palm beach county in florida and part of southern martin county and a lot of um a lot of the area was very uh let's say glamorous if you would <laughs> and uh this was a change in yeah, it was a change for them to actually start feeling like they're a part of that, feeling like they were professionals uh, and not just wastewater operators that you would see Ed Norton in, uh, if you remember Ed Norton and uh, the Honeymooners. He was the original yeah. wastewater operator, if you would, that made TV. So they got <laughs> that feeling and they, they, they felt professional. Yeah, and I think that, that element of uh, professional orientation is really, really important. And so what, what, tell me a little bit more about some of the things that you did with them. I know you also set a vision for safety. Uh, you talked about how you set an expectation around it. Tell me a little bit about how you involve workers to really make it uh, personal, real, uh, so that they would take safety first and foremost as a key, key component of the role. Yeah, when I, uh, I, when I got transitioned, great question. And when I got transitioned into being the, uh, well, I was always going to be the safety and health coordinator and the plant manager at the same time because the utility just honestly didn't want to buy two or have two different positions, if you would. So in those cases, uh, I ended up having to uh, make a distinct role change every time I talked to the workers because I needed them to trust me enough to show me hazards and know that they're not going to get higher, uh, fired because of it. 
So I, I had to make a distinct, uh, just a decision to see them and talk to them by proximity and not manage from my office. So I did one of the things I thought was really influential in getting people to buy into safety is I showed up on the job. I showed up at midnight. I showed up in evening shifts. Mm. I showed up on day shift when they're doing anything and I could be there. I would be there and I would, uh, I had a cot in the office and I stayed overnight many times just to <laughs> let them know I'm not that kind of manager that is just going to dictate things without asking what you need and then following mm. up. So the key was being there by proximity, asking what they need, seeing it. And sometimes I didn't understand and I'll be, all right, I see you guys doing an excavation over here. Uh, what are we doing? And they explained, all right, well, this soil is classy and we need to do this. And they went through the whole process. And I think in letting them talk, letting them be the expert, telling them, I don't know everything. I just know how to identify hazards. You tell me the job and let's do this together. And they, they bought in that way. I think that's a really important piece that, that you're sharing in terms of you're meeting people where they're at, you're comfortable connecting, talking to them. Often I speak to leaders who are saying, uh, some of my leaders don't know how the work gets done. How do they have coaching conversations? That's exactly the way you just described, right? Yeah, absolutely. And many of the leaders that are in some places, uh, let's say, they come up from the ranks, which is great to hire within. Mm -hmm. However, once they're in the responsibility of being a, a manager or even a super supervisor in a front line, they may have their safety, uh, they may lose track of what the job was itself and they're looking at absolutes, mm -hmm. they're looking at maybe regulations or they're looking at best practices as opposed to asking the workers doing the work and seeing, all right, we've got, uh, we're giving you PPE. Let's say it's uh, it's eyewear, and that's fogging up, mm. and you're gonna ding the worker for not wearing the eyewear, and they're telling you I can't see, and now you're you're trying to you know, hold them to uh, absolute when you don't really know that it's not practical for where they are, right. and therefore you might have to look for another engineering control versus a PPE, or you may end up having to talk to your vendor and say, hey, this isn't working. Uh, let me mm -hmm. get something for the workers that will work. And that's the flexibility of it is really uh, probably a better way of, of you know working it out. Mm, I, I love what you're sharing there because so often simple things, but really does matter. I've heard of, of examples where people are dinging people for not wearing their PPE in the cafeteria uh, or places where it doesn't make sense or they can't use it, uh, <laughs> as you just described. So another theme you talked about is uh, and it's a lot of buzz right now around the concept of learning teams. Uh, tell me about how you leverage something like learning teams back in that role, and how did you make them effective? Yeah, absolutely. Um, learning teams, uh, especially if you're doing the, the traditional learning team way where it's coming from the human and organization performance camp, uh, the learning teams, you could do them for, for any, amount of, uh, any amount of items. So what I would do is break it down into uh, let's learn about first, uh, let's learn about the task that we're doing. Uh, tell me mm -hmm. today, how did it work today with your job safety analysis? Did we get all the steps in? Uh, did we have all the controls identified for each step? And that could be its own learning team right there, just allowing the workers to, to talk and tell you what's happening. And then of course, if there's an incident, you could do a learning team for that and saying, all right, we've got our root cause. What can we do better? What did we miss? And 
uh, that active learning helped. But the thing that I believe is is really important for, for flexible learning teams is when it's peer on peer and you now are part of the team and uh, and you and I've always had my frontline supervisors show up as well and tell them, all right, we are all together learning. You're not a boss right now. You're part of the team like everyone else right. with equal say and manage it that way. And that really helped the learning team when you get a good facilitator that can help people get through those moments where they don't want to talk, you know, like when they show up and they're like, well, mm. what's up with your department? What's with your department? And there's no <laughs> substance happening. <laughs> you know, that's not right. going to help you. You have to actually ask pointed questions. And then from there, uh, even if you're going to do word mapping or if you want to do mind mapping or any kind of tool to get people to talk, uh, then after that, you mm -hmm. have to do the, the actions. Sure. And I think that those are really important uh, components. So, so how, how do you make sure that the actions come to life? It sounds like a basic question, but uh, too often you hear lots of talking, but nothing actually comes out of it. How, how do you make sure they actually came to life? This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, de develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. Yeah, with with that, it's actually it's as practical as it sounds, but it's also uh, tenacity. So practical for getting things done is again putting it in writing and saying, "All right, we need this done at this time by this individual." And you could do that through a RACI chart, which would be RACI, which is who is responsible for this who's accountable. Uh, the C part would be who needs to um, uh, consult it. And then, yeah, <laughs> and then the I, who has to be informed. <laughs> uh, so in those cases, when you're yeah. you're writing that out, see, you remember the RASI, right? <laughs> uh, when you're writing that yes, out. Yes, I do. <laughs> when you write that out and you're, you're you first, then you, you start your communication plan, who needs to know what time, what venue, what method do they need to know it in and you have to get some sort of consensus at that point hey bob can you do this on wednesday sorry sheldon i got a whole bunch this week uh i know that you said this is a risk analysis that is a low risk would you mind if i could do this on friday okay sure uh so you have to quantify the risk and then get into sure. some consensus between when can you get this done but then give all of the resources you can to the individual call them back on thursday and say hey how's it going today uh can, what can i do to get you this done so it's timing it's also making sure that you don't let anything fall through the cracks and that's when you're gonna get the email or um, what i do is a nice little flag on the email if i need to so anytime i go back i can see the flag to remind me to go back uh, sometimes I just use an alert feature on my phone by calendar and it's practical in that way to make sure nothing falls through the cracks. And then you just call back the person you delegated and sure. just say, how can I support you? And I think that's a big part of the role of the leader as well is to check in, to make sure it gets executed, 
to, to see if you need any help. Uh, because often what I see is there's good inertia and then certain things don't get executed. But part of it is if you're checking in as a leader to say, hey, how are you doing on your plans? Then, then it does make sure that you either adapt the plan or um, help them execute on it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what they're looking for you to do, especially if they need resources such as, you know, hey, Sheldon, this is going to cost 3000 I know our budget says that if it's over 1000 I need three quotes. And all right, give me a chance. Let me go call people and I'll follow up on the quotes. And uh, the avenue had to be open for them to feel comfortable enough to tell me if the task wasn't happening right. They didn't feel like I was going to beat them down that, sure. you know, hey, why aren't you doing this? But hey, Sheldon, I'm having some trouble here. Please help me go through this or manage through that. And that really worked worked well. And then also rewarding mm -hmm. uh, as best as I could, too. Yeah, it's an important component. So so want to transition to another theme, which is around personal accountability. How, how does that factor into to the safety equation? Uh, it is probably it's a primary factor. I don't want to go hyperbolic, but it's the primary factor in, in holding your your own personal credibility for yourself, but then also uh, for the workers when you when they see that you're willing to admit when you're wrong. And I've had to do that and eat some crow every time <laughs> that I was and that helped. <laughs> and then also I um, I protected my workers from management that was above them and even sometimes above me uh, that would, you know, pretty much go with you didn't follow these rules and let's go do something punitive. So at that point, I was thinking, well, not mm -hmm. all actions need to be you're fired or you're a couple days off or whatever. Right. And I, I was that buffer between them and, and that part of the management. And that also helped with the accountability and helped get some, some respect. But then it was holding me responsible for protecting them. Like I promised from day one when I showed up in the first meeting uh, so mm -hmm. that I would do that. And uh, that also uh, garnered where the trust was there and I was held accountable for myself and for my actions. And then when it was part of accountability for people in their actions, I was consistent. Uh, not like the Douglas McGregor hot yeah. stove, uh, that, that theory, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was more flexible than that. Maybe, um, uh, you know, what the, the hot stove theory for, for those who may not be familiar is, uh, the stove itself is going to give you a warning because of the color and, uh, it's nice and red telling you it's hot. And if you touch it is going to be pretty much burn everybody equally, no matter who you are. And it's going to always be a burn if you touch it. So I didn't do that as much because to me, um, I was kind of more of the James reason, uh, diminishing culpability model where you could see that. Uh, if someone's infraction was done because of sabotage, hold them more accountable than someone that may not have been trained properly or the system may have induced some sort of latent yeah, condition that they activated. So that, that's the way that I, I, yeah. I would monitor it. Yeah, I think the, the system factors or, or lack of training, often people blame the employee, but it really is not the cause. If you blame the employee, you're removing that the fix from the actual source of the problem. Yeah, correct. And that's that's also a reason for the learning teams too, whenever you do those, because uh, first and foremost, you shouldn't be looking for blame. Uh, it should be something where you're actively together as a unified force, uh, organizational culture. I'm trying not to say safety culture anymore because uh, it should be what you do. It should that's be right. everything you do. 
as a community, as an organization. So the organizational culture would demand that. Uh, and that's honestly the best way, right? Right, absolutely. So, so Sheldon, I really appreciate you sharing some of your real-world experience from when you were managing a plant um, and, and how you made safety important uh, across the organization, how you connected with workers, uh, how you set a vision around safety, uh, how you really started creating more of a learning organization in terms of building and learning example, learning teams and how you handled uh, personal accountability, all the really important themes uh, for an operational leader to really think about uh, to drive the right culture, as you talked about in terms of right organizational culture. So uh, thank you very much. I think, Sheldon, you, you won a prize for some of the work you did in safety in that space, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We, uh, the, the plan itself was acknowledged for operations on a state level, we get the highest state uh, for operation of a plant of our size, and then also on a federal national level from our Environmental Protection Agency, the plant itself won an award for its operational side. And then at the same time, we won awards in safety for our driving. We won awards for, uh, I'm not a big fan of the lagging indicator where it is X amount of days without incidents, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it, it I like it when it's organic and it occurs as opposed to uh, looking to you know monetize or, or promote it saying in you know when we get to a year uh, but we actually had it organically happen and we got recognized uh, within my time it was uh, with the driving awards and a few other the recognition awards on, on safe activities it turned out to be right around 13 awards in three years uh, from when the culture change happened so we had to, wow. uh, it, it came hot and heavy when the first award came, then we got the next and we got the next and it was a little a snowball effect. And that in itself became something that was lore for the organization and that uh, strengthened the culture. Sure. So uh, thank you for sharing this because I think it really is impressive in terms of the themes, in terms of how you brought it to life and uh, based on the awards had a meaningful impact in terms of the culture and, and in safety performance. So a phenomenal case study and example. Uh, and now you dedicate yourself to helping other organizations around safety uh, and um, also hosting the, the podcast Safety Consultant. So tell me maybe a little bit about your podcast in case somebody wants to, to, to listen in. Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, truly, I, I started ask, answering the same questions from students that I would get throughout the year as I was teaching uh, safety certification courses. And uh, that led to the book, which led to a course. And then I was like, all right, I got to probably do this more often. <laughs> and then that led to the podcast so I could, you know, help people who want to, they want to be mm -hmm. safety consultants. And I was like, all right, let's take you through my lessons uh, and let's do this step by step. And let's show you the business of running a safety business. And then you know the hazards, you know the controls. You just may not know about insurance. You may not know about how to uh, write a proposal. And that's what I really started focusing on is mentoring those those individuals. And, and uh, currently I'm doing that through the podcast and the Safety Consultant TV project. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Sheldon. Uh, really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate you having me on, Eric. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the Ops Guru, Eric McCroskey.